all feelings are okay. It is okay for you to be furious. What you do with that fury matters. You have to figure out how to safely and, and in a healthy way express it. But it's okay to feel any feeling. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to be anxious. But what do you do with that when it happens? And how can you show it in a safe and healthy way? Welcome to Tilt Parenting, a podcast featuring interviews and conversations aimed at inspiring, informing, and supporting parents raising differently wired kids. I'm your host, Debbie Reber, and my guest this week is author, speaker, and licensed mental health counselor, Janine Holleran, for a conversation about coping skills for kids. Janine is the author of the Coping Skills for Kids workbook, the new Coping Skills for Teens workbook, and she's also the host of the Calm and Connected podcast, all amazing resources, which I encourage you to check out. As a counselor working primarily with children and adolescents for the past 20 years, Janine knows the value of learning healthy coping skills early in life and that children who are able to cope with big emotions in healthy ways will be more resilient and manage their stress better as adults. And she also knows how real it can get when it comes to teaching kids to deal with emotions and that theory and practice can sometimes feel worlds apart. Hence her coping skills workbooks, and not to mention Janine has a lot of free resources on her website. In our conversation, Janine walks us through the different types of coping skills, how to identify them, and gives us her best practices for supporting our kids and teens in tapping into their coping powers. This is such a timely conversation. Who couldn't use more coping skills these days? Not only our kids, but for us as well. Thanks so much. And now here is my conversation with Janine. Hey, Janine, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Debbie. I think this conversation is perfect timing because we're going to be really doing a deep dive into coping skills, which is your area of expertise. It's actually a topic we have probably skirted around, but we've never dedicated an episode to this. I'm really excited to get into all of it with you. But I would love before we do that, I've read your more official bio, but can you take a few minutes and tell us a little bit about your story and how you got into doing this work and maybe your personal why for doing this work? Absolutely. So um, I'm trained as a licensed mental health counselor, and um, I've been working with children and families for 20 years. I actually, you know, it's really interesting how I came to start coping skills for kids, but I'll just start with why I became a therapist. So, because I think that's a kind of an interesting thing. You know, when I was a teenager, I had a therapist and they were such an instrumental part of my life, helping me figure out, you know, what strategies I could use, what coping skills I could use, how to manage different relationships, friendships, family, all that stuff. And I found that relationship to be so rewarding and so helpful. I remember being in therapy so clearly one day and saying, I want to do this with my life. <laughs> so um, that is why I started um, really dedicating my life to becoming a therapist. You know, I once I realized what I wanted to do, then I just started doing it. You know, I started um, looking at schools and colleges and grad school, and then it sort of started from there. When I was in grad school, something that I realized as we were talking and going through all the classes, they would talk about everybody needs to use their coping skills. You need to teach your clients coping skills. And they would say the same three coping skills. And I was like, that's not going to work for everybody, y'all. And <laughs> so let's come up with some different ways uh, 
of strategies for kids that will work. And I worked in schools for a very long time. I worked in like really substantially separate. I worked in point four schools. So schools where kids were not placed in their typical school setting. So they were having some really big emotions, showing a lot of behaviors and things like that. And, you know, sometimes it just didn't work to tell them to take a deep breath. I'll tell you that right now. And so what started happening was I would start to gather these ideas. I talked to kids about what worked for them. I did some reading on what people were saying and what people were researching. I talked to my colleagues about what strategies worked for them. And I just started compiling a list so that I had a place to go when I was stuck with that kid who I couldn't figure out what to do. Um, And so then I kept looking for this book. I kept looking for this coping skills book and I could never find it. And finally, my husband just is tired of me saying this all day long. And he says to me, why don't you just write this book? You keep looking for it. It does not exist. You've tried. So just write it. So start writing it. And that's sort of where coping skills for kids started. That's where the coping skills checklist comes in. And it sort of grew organically from there. So it's kind of a weird <laughs> way to do it, but that's how it works. Well, I love that. I mean, you talk to the the experts, the kids themselves and what's working and then created what needed to exist. So I love, I love that. And I also love talking with people who kind of identified when they were teens or kids, what they wanted to do and then are still doing it and loving doing it. So that's really cool. Yeah, no, I absolutely love my job. People are like, you are so weird. And like, I just do. I love it. I love working with kids. Give me a snarky teenager any day. I love that. (laughs) I mean, I hear it in your voice. I can tell the joy and energy that you bring to this. So you're the kind of person I like having on this show. So um, I would love to just start by defining what a coping skill is, because I will be honest, I probably started therapy in my mid-20s. I did um, REBT. I don't remember coping language coming up in it. And it wasn't until my son was maybe eight that a coach, an executive functioning coach he was working with, talked about a coping routine. And this was like a newsflash to me. So can you define what exactly a coping skill is? Yeah, absolutely. So the way I think of coping skills is they're a way to deal with your feelings and emotions and behaviors. And you can sort of think about them in two sort of ways. You can think about you have healthy coping skills on one side and unhealthy coping skills on another. So I think about, you know, being able to figure out a way to take a deep breath, like doing belly breathing or being able to do a grounding exercise or being able to express your anger in a safe way, like maybe doing some jumping jacks or jumping on a trampoline, all of those would fall into the healthy category of coping skills. You know, when I think about um, the unhealthy ones, I think about when kids are having really big emotions and they can't figure out how to do it safely. So then they turn to unsafe behavior. So they're throwing, they're hitting, they're kicking. Their strategies, they're trying to cope in that moment, right? Like they're having big emotions, they're having big feelings, but they don't know how to channel it. And they're just, they're just overwhelmed. So I like to think about trying to help kids figure out the healthy ways to channel their emotions. And I always say to kids, I say this to adults and I say it to myself, all feelings are okay. It is okay for you to be furious. What you do with that fury matters. You have to figure out how to safely and and in a healthy way express it, but it's okay to feel any feeling. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to be anxious. But what do you do with that when it happens? And how can you show it in a safe and healthy way? 
I think that's such an important distinction. I'm recalling a conversation with the same therapist who had had a kind of a tricky session with my son. Again, I think he was eight or nine at the time. And maybe I was describing something that happened and a big explosion. And she was the one who said to me, well, actually, that was his coping, like he was processing yeah. it. And I that was like, oh, my gosh, because I equated anger as bad. And when she was like, actually, his response was 100% appropriate for that particular situation. And so I think it's really interesting to think about healthy versus unproductive or unhelpful coping mechanisms. So let's talk then about all kids, probably all humans, right? We all already have coping skills that we use or coping mechanisms. How do we, you know, suss out the ones that are working and then the ones we want to set aside because they're not productive? Well, it's really interesting. I like to divide up coping skills because as a counselor, I have been given those lists of like 101 ways to deal with stress. And it's that can be really overwhelming for a child, like super over. It's overwhelming for Mm -hmm. me as the adult who's looking at the list. I'm like, I don't know where to begin with this. So I totally understand that overwhelm of like what works, what doesn't work, where do I begin? So I actually this is so organic the way that this started happening for me. I was, I brought one of those, like a longer list of coping skills to a group with kids. And I had this little, this, I can't, oh my gosh, she's so funny. She had this little attitude. She would always like bring it right back at me. She'd she said to me, this list is too long. I don't know where to begin. I have no idea what I'm doing with this. You need to help me. Mm. (laughs) And I was like, okay, fair. That is fair. There's something about you know, you, you listen to your clients, you listen to what they have to say. And I heard her in that moment, like, this is really overwhelming for me. And it's not helpful. So how do you help me with my emotions if I'm feeling overwhelmed right now? So right then and there in the group, we started dividing up the coping skills. So it was easier to figure out which one worked for you. So over time, it's been refined to five different strategies. So I have um, relaxation strategies. And those are strategies that are deep breathing, mindfulness, grounding techniques using your imagination. Those would fall into um, relaxation, uh, that coping style. Another coping style is distraction. So being able to use play, being able to use fun activities to help distract you, not to avoid, not to suppress, not to deny feelings, but sometimes you need a break. Your brain needs a break and that is going to be helpful to you. I also love using movement. So especially for those kids who have a lot of big, angry feelings, sometimes the best thing they can do is figure out a movement, some sort of activity they can do with their body to express that anger a little bit more safely. So wall push-ups, jumping jacks, squeezing something. And then we have those kids who are on the sensory processing spectrum, you know, how sensitive are they? And they really respond to maybe weighted items, maybe spinning, maybe being in a small enclosed space, maybe having something tight to their body. Um, Those are the kids who would respond better to those sensory sort of things. And then I also think processing is really important. We need to talk about our emotions. We need to identify our stressors. We need to identify where we feel things in our body. We need to identify the things we can and can't control. All of these coping skills are, you know, things that could be helpful for you, but it depends on where you are. It depends on what feeling you're experiencing. And it depends on the type of person that you are. So, you know, I've taught my son, for example, he is totally like a movement and sensory guy. 
those are his coping skills. When he, like, he literally runs around our house, like outside of our house, he runs around when he gets too big of emotion. Like he just has to get it out. My daughter, totally into relaxation. So she loves to be able to do, you know, using her imagination, thinking about things that she loves, thinking about people she cares about, drawing pictures of her favorite place. So kids tend to fall into one or two of the categories. They tend to favor one or two, not to say that they shouldn't use the other strategies, but trying to help them figure out what strategies they really gravitate towards most is really helpful. How do you do that exactly? You know, what is that process to figure out? I mean, probably observation with some kids, it's it's more evident what might work for them. But what does that look like when you're working with a child? We'll be right back after this quick break. So in our house these days, Darren and I have been working together to up-level our nutrition and healthy lifestyle habits. Maybe it's our age, our changing bodies, my shifting hormones, whatever the reason, I'm here for it. And that's why I'm loving Green Chef, a meal company that makes eating well easy with plans to fit every lifestyle. Green Chef offers gut-friendly recipes each week and is committed to providing a holistic approach to nutrition by offering meals that contribute to the overall well-being of your entire body. Darren and I are particularly big fans of their nutrient-dense, science-backed gut and brain health recipes, developed in partnership with registered dietitians that improve digestion, reduce bloat, and also boost energy and immunity. This week's favorites, turkey, black bean, and sweet potato chili, and the Baja chicken bowls with mango salsa. I mean, don't those sound delicious? But if that's not your thing, you can choose from a variety of customized meals to suit your lifestyles with preferences like keto, vegan, vegetarian, fast and fit, Mediterranean, gluten-free, and protein-packed. Whatever you choose, you'll get farm-fresh ingredients, organic whole fruits and veggies, and premium proteins, along with chef-crafted, nutritionist-approved recipes delivered straight to your door. Go to greenchef.com slash 60tilt and use code 60tilt to get 60% off plus 20% off your next two months. That's 60% off plus 20% off your next two months when you use the code 60TILT at greenchef.com slash 60TILT. Green Chef, the number one meal kit for eating well. This year, I've been working on becoming more attuned to my body. And so I'm starting to really recognize how periodic spikes in anxiety or disruptions to my routines can seriously throw my whole system off. And as I've been traveling a ton this past month, which is both disruptive and somewhat stressful, I'm especially glad that I have the extra support of Symbiotic Plus, a three-in-one supplement from Ritual with clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic to support a balanced gut microbiome. Symbiotic Plus provides fuel to the cells that make up the gut lining to support a healthy gut barrier. And it comes in this very cool minty delayed release capsule, which was specifically designed to help survive the harsh conditions of the upper GI tract for delivery to the colon. The bonus is that the capsules don't need to be refrigerated, so I can easily bring them with me in my carry-on. On a personal level, I love that Ritual is committed to sustainability. They're a female-founded B Corp, meaning they are holding themselves accountable long-term to not only think about their company's financial health, but also the health of people and our planet. There's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash tilt. Start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash tilt for 25% off. 
So for me, I actually use something that's a free uh, resource on my website called the Coping Skills Checklist. So for all my clients, and I've even done it for my own children, we I'll just go through the checklist. So it has all of the categories separated out. And just by going through and just saying, let's check off the ones that work for you, check off the ones that you like, cross off the ones that you know don't work for you, and then circle the ones you want to try. And I've worked with kids a lot. So I've I've had those kids who like cross out everything. And so, you know, in order to prevent that from happening, I, I say, you know, you can't cross out things you haven't tried yet. Mm. You can only cross off things you've tried and you know don't work. So by just looking at that list, it gives you an idea of what sort of things they tend to gravitate towards, what if, sort of things that they like, what sort of strategies are already working for them. And that alone can be really powerful for kids to know, oh my gosh, my when I read, that can be a coping skill for me. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Like, that is a fantastic coping skill. Please use that. The things that they love to do can be things that can help them regulate their emotions. I love that you said that when I used to send my son to camps when he was little, you know, day camps over the summer, I would always tell a counselor he's got two books in his backpack. If he gets dysregulated, just give him a book and set him down somewhere and he'll be fine. I never equated that as coping. So I was like, that's how he emotionally re-regulates. But really, that was a coping mechanism. That's so I don't know why I didn't make that connection. You know what? I think a lot of people don't. And and I can't even tell you how many times just doing the coping skills checklist, people are like, oh, my gosh, I have a lot of different strategies I can use. I'm like, yeah, you really do. Like, you're a brilliant person. You just needed to have a little direction. And so sometimes they'd be like, oh, I'm good now. Bye. Right. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and that was enough. That's all I cared about. You know, therapy is one of those jobs where you're like trying to work yourself out of a job which I appreciate. Yeah, that's great. So and then this idea of a coping routine, because as I said, this is something that came up with this therapist that my son was working with. And she I don't know how she designed it. I feel like she told him what to do. And it was these four things, you know, like rub your hands on your lap, and then squeeze your fist. And I don't remember there were four things. And I was told as a parent, you know, when your child is getting dysregulated and about to explode or in, you know, in the the orange or the yellow zone that do the coping routine. Is that different or is it really just putting together different coping skills? That's really just putting together different coping skills. So you could make a coping routine out of, you know, the, the different coping styles that I just mentioned, but you can do it with only just sensory or only relaxation strategies, whatever works for the kid. And I think that's the piece that I find so powerful is making sure that kids have ownership of it, that they have control of it, because it's their body, it's their emotion, it's their thoughts. So we need to make sure that we're helping them figure out the strategies that will work for them. It's really hard when an adult is telling you, well, you need to take deep breaths, and you need to take them like this. Well, what if that doesn't work? And to be open to that, to be open to like, well, what does what works for this child? What works for that child? And offering lots of different strategies so they can figure out what works for them or make their own. Mm-hmm. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? It's, I love creativity. I love when kids are like, well, that one didn't work for me, but it made me think of this other thing that was fantastic. And it was awesome. And then I want them to tell me, well, what was it? Cause I want to know what it is too. So I can tell other people if they get stuck. <laughs> <laughs> so talk about what this looks like in practice. I'm thinking of little kids. I know that it seemed to me one of the mysteries of the world that we have these little kids 
struggle with emotional regulation. So many of us learn about the zones, green zone, the red zone, and and the job. And I used to give teachers, you know, these charts and things like the job is to help our kids start to catch before they hit the red zone. So I just, I'm curious to know when you do coping skills or work with kids on developing their own, I guess I want to know how it all, how it all works in that emotional regulation cycle. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things in the processing uh, coping style is to start identifying it and your identifying your feelings in your body. So figuring out when you're starting to feel angry, when you're starting to feel anxious, and helping them make those connections. So when I start to, I have a client who she feels anxiety, and the way she describes it is like she gets a stinging. It's like the nerve endings are pinging off in her hands and her legs. And so she feels it. She says, I, and she's felt it since she was little. And so we talked a lot about when you start to feel that sting come up your arms, come up your hands, come up your legs. That's when we need to intervene and do something. When you're starting to feel that, what are the strategies you can use? Let's talk about doing some five, four, three, two, one grounding. Let's talk about doing some four, seven, eight breathing. Let's talk about doing some different strategies and then also making a plan for recognizing what are the things that cause me sting? What are the things that cause me anxiety? Is it giving speeches in front of the class? Heck yes, it is. Is it having to do with um, conflicts with friends? Yes, that causes anxiety as well. Let's talk about when you are experiencing that, what's your plan? What are you going to do in that situation? So there's a lot of work that goes into talking about it before it happens. And then after an incident occurs to be able to decompress and sort of unpack, okay, well, what do you think led up to that? And what do you, how do you think we could handle it differently? How do you think you handled it this time? What would you change about the next time? You know, trying to really do a lot of unpacking before and after. So there's a lot of actually, it, it takes a lot of time. And that's the thing. I feel like sometimes people want me to have a magic wand and like wave it over the kid and make sure that like, ding, they're fixed mm-hmm. now, you know, mm-hmm. after meeting with me for six times or whatever. I'm like, that's not how it works because what's going to make them anxious or make them scared or make them angry is going to change over time. And we need to figure it out. What I want to do is help them figure out the strategies that will work for them and think through okay, if this strategy doesn't work, what can I do instead? And be okay with that. Like be okay with that, that it's not going to be a hundred percent all the time because it's not. No human is perfect. No. And I feel like half of the shows I'm recording right now are for parents to be doing this work on themselves because, you know, in this time of the COVID pandemic and we are all just tapped out and we need coping skills and routines. And, and so I do find it so interesting that this is work many of us as parents are really early on. And yet there is an expectation or maybe it's just a hope uh, above all hopes that are, that our kids are going to get it in a couple of weeks because many of us are dealing with pretty intense you know, behavior and emotional dysregulation. And and we do want quick fixes, right? Oh, of course. And that's the thing. Like I've lived this. I have kids. I've seen the big behaviors, you know, and because of that, I, I also get that piece of like, I want it fixed now. Of course you want them to be better. You don't want them to be suffering. You don't want them to be, you can tell something is wrong and you want to help them. 
but it will take time to be able to step back and be like, okay, I need to pull in the my team. I need to pull in who can help me, who can support me, where is my community? But then also giving grace to ourselves with the fact that it's not going to go well all the time. Celebrating when something is moving, even a baby step in the right direction. I remember when my son was like four years old and I'd be like, the tantrum or the episode, the meltdown lasted 45 minutes mm-hmm. instead of 60. Mm-hmm. That, and you know what? That was a win in my book. Yeah. Fantastic. Totally. <laughs> totally. I can relate to that. Um, the thing about this too, is that it may seem like it's slow work, but, you know, talking about what we're experiencing as adults now, figuring this stuff out, I get so excited when I think about our kids doing this work now and how evolved they're going to be as a grown-ups. Like they're going to move into adulthood with this skill set that that we didn't have in our 20s for sure. And that's really exciting to me. Yes, it is exciting to I am excited about it too. It makes me so excited to think about the fact that social and emotional learning is such a huge part of school now. And it's something that people are talking about and people are recognizing. I mean, even for my own district, it was the second thing after health and safety. Uh, that they want to really promote and talk about in in school. And I was like, oh my goodness, as a therapist, I was like, yes, let's do this. And that it's so powerful because think about how they're going to interact with one another. Think about how they're going to be in relationships, how they're going to be in friendships. They are very aware. And oh my gosh, light years ahead of where I was at their age. So For sure, 100%. We'll be right back after this quick break. Hey there, it's Debbie. I love making this show and sharing conversations about how to support our awesome neurodivergent kids. I've seen how even one little insight from an interview can spark a big shift in daily life. But I know that raising complex kids can be messy and lonely. And just when we think we figured it out, something comes up that boots us right back to feeling overwhelmed and stuck. That's why I've poured everything into creating a way for parents like us navigating complex parenting journeys to join together and chart a path that feels positive, hopeful, and doable. It's the brand new Differently Wired Club experience. In the club, you'll get personal support from me and other seasoned parent coaches, six live calls every month where you can connect and get your personal questions answered, the opportunity to learn directly from authors and experts like I have on this show, monthly themes for getting specific and tactical, an exclusive private podcast feed, and the best, most generous community of parents. Seriously, these folks show up for themselves and each other, and that right there is really everything. Because it's a daily reminder that we're not alone. Our kids aren't broken, and we have totally got this. The recently rebooted Differently Wired Club is on a brand new platform with its very own iOS and Android app. It is such a great space. However you learn, whatever your style, no matter the ages, genders, and neurodivergent profile of your children, the Differently Wired Club can help you cultivate the positive shifts you're hoping for. Join us today by going to tiltparenting.com slash club. That's tiltparenting.com slash club. I hope to see you on the inside. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. 
Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. So I'd love to know about different ages. Because I, first of all, you've got a book, Coping Skills for Kids book. You also have a teens workbook and both are fantastic. And you listeners, I'll have links in the show notes. You should definitely check them out. They're just super practical, super useful. And I'm wondering, you know, are there coping skills that are more go-to for different ages? Do they change over time what actually works for kids? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, if I think about my own kids and my own clients, I've seen tremendous change, especially that like when you start when elementary school and then they get to like high school, they are so different. Think about like even beginning middle school and ending middle school. Kids are so different. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and so what how they cope changes over time. So, for little kids, I think one of the most important things to do is actually just start talking about emotions, talking about feelings. Um, reading books about feelings, talking about the feelings that characters might have and TV shows, and just really making it part of the natural everyday life um, that you're just talking about emotions and talking about how things impact other people. And then being able to just teach them some simple, simple strategies. So for little kids, I love to teach them to breathe by laying down and putting a stuffed animal on their belly and just having them move the stuffed animal up and down, just moving their belly out and moving their belly back in. And they love it too, because they get to play with their stuffed animal. And so just starting really simple with little kids, they understand sad, mad, glad. They get Mm -hmm. that. (laughs) They get those three when they're that little. Um, And even I've used zones of regulation. When my son was like three or four, I was using zones of regulation with him because he got it. It's like super visual. Mm -hmm, You know what I mean? mm -hmm. And so he totally was like, I'm green or I'm red. And so I, I, it was really, it's fun to see them like sort of pull into those things. For the elementary school kids, what I think is really neat is to start making sure that they have the time to play and relax because play is a natural stress reliever for kids. And so giving them an opportunity to be creative, to de-stress in that way, I think is phenomenal and to make sure that they have a trusted adult that they can talk to. Being able to talk to somebody is huge. And, you know, somebody that they feel like they can trust, um, even doing a journal back and forth with an, a, with a parent is really kind of cool. Like you can secretly send the journal back and forth between you and a child um, and see what they do. I also like using drawing, using coloring and even doing that and talking about feelings and talking about thoughts and being able to explore that with um, elementary school kids is really cool. And then with high schoolers and middle schoolers, they are kind of interesting creatures, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yes. <laughs> they, um, what I find with them is that they are still willing to do the things that littler kids do, but they just want to make sure that they're not being so like, they're not going to be exposed. They want to, they're trying to be vulnerable with you. If you are like in a therapy relationship or with a parent, they want to be able to trust that it's private, but they're willing to do stuff. Like I've 
worked with kids and we've tried mindfulness and we've tried, you know, eating a chocolate bar in a mindful way. We've tried taking a mindful walk. Um, I try a lot of deep breathing exercises with them. And the thing that helps them do it is that I do it with them. And I'm like, this looks silly, doesn't it? Oh, well, here we go. I'm going to do it first and you try it with me. And because I'm willing to be vulnerable, they're willing to be vulnerable. I think I'm going to try the mindfully eating a candy bar thing with my child uh-huh. because I like that idea. It sounds like a win-win for everybody. <laughs> I, I have to tell you, it was like one of the best days of therapy. She's like, you want me to eat a chocolate bar? I'm like, yeah, I have one too. Here we go. <laughs> I imagine too, this is also us modeling. Like I think right now, I feel like I, at this point, have good coping skills. And for me, it's movement. I I get out for walks and runs multiple times a day, sometimes depending what's happening. But I also try to talk out loud about it. Like, I've had a really stressful day, I need to get out and move my body. So are, are there ways that we as parents can model this behavior effectively for our kids as well? I think exactly what you do exactly what you're just saying is what we should be doing, we should be expressing like, I know that I need to move my body because it helps me regulate. I will say that out loud to my kids. Like I need, I'm feeling frustrated and overwhelmed. Um, I don't have to tell them all the details about why that's happening, but I will say like, I'm going to go for a walk. Anybody want to come for a walk with me? You know, being able to tell them and show them like adults have a range of emotions and we are trying to manage it and work through it. And it's okay for you to do the same thing. It's okay for kids to have a bad day just like it's okay for adults to have a bad day. Mm -hmm. And to give each other grace around that is huge. You know, I think it's really important that adults do figure out those ways of the ways that they're coping. Sometimes I think when we talk about self-care for adults, I really think we're just talking about coping Mm -hmm. skills for adults. Yeah, I see that, yeah. And so what are the strategies that you use? I love movement too. I love uh, Zumba. I try to go to Zumba anytime I can. It's been a little bit tricky with COVID, but my Zumba teacher is still doing Zumba remotely. So I- Zoom Zumba, right? Yeah, Zoom Zumba, it's exactly (laughs) it. Zoom Zumba. So I'm like trying to find spaces in my house to do Zumba and not like knock into anything. Mm -hmm. But that's fine because that's what I need. I play video games. I read. Those are things that I know I need to do on a regular basis in order for me to reset and recharge and be refilled in order for me to do the work that I'm doing. Because it's COVID is hard, Mm -hmm, man. mm -hmm. (laughs) That is true. Yes. So what about kids who are resistant? You know, I imagine you must come across clients or, or talk to parents whose kids have zero interest in figuring this stuff out and are resistant to even exploring coping skills that might support them. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Run into it all the time. Um, what I would say is the way that I start to talk with kids, if they don't want to talk to me in general about coping skills, I just ask them what they like. Because that gives me clues as to what can help them. And I tend to be a, a person who actually loves a lot of kid lit. So I read all the books that my daughters read, my daughter reads and my son reads. So I can talk about Harry Potter. I can talk about the school for good and evil. I can talk mm-hmm. about the land of stories, you know? So I can, I have these conversations with kids where they tell me and I can see what lights them up. And then eventually we can get around to a place where they are more trusting in, um, in the relationship. And I can say, oh gosh, you know, I wonder if this might help when you're having a hard day. Um, to come to it in a different way to focus on the things that they love because kids will tell you, they'll talk to you for days about things that Mm -hmm. they love. And like, it could be Minecraft. I don't care. 
like talk to me about Mario Party. I can do it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But starting with the things that they love and just starting to have a dialogue and conversation around that. Um, Also, sometimes for kids, it feels too, too close for them to talk about themselves. So I'll say, well, what have you noticed with other kids? Like what makes other kids angry? What makes other kids frustrated? And how do they handle it? And what are your thoughts on that? So like depersonalizing it. So it's not really about them in the moment. It's about, oh, what did you notice from your classmate? Because I'll tell you all about what their classmate Right. That's <laughs> <laughs> so true. So I would love if you could, before we kind of wrap up, just tell us a little bit more about your Coping Skills for Kids workbook and the teen workbook. Tell listeners, you shared why you've written them, but what they could expect in those books. Yeah, absolutely. So in the Coping Skills for Kids workbook, I've divided it and there's it's four sections. So movement and sensory are combined. Um, and really what it is, is just tiny little snippets uh, to explain a, a plethora of coping skills in there. And there are some worksheets that can help. And there's a coping skills checklist in there and a bunch of resources in the back. So just giving you an idea, a little bit more explanation of what a, what the strategies are, what the coping skills are, so that you can try and see if it works for your kids, see if it works for your client. And I basically did the same thing for the teens. I um, made it a little bit more concise. Um, it's the movement and sensory are still combined into one. So there's four different styles in that book as well. But really, for a teen audience, I really tried to be as open and honest and vulnerable with them as possible in that book so that they would feel like, oh gosh, I can do this. This is okay. Um, so I tried to express that as much as I could, but really talking about like channeling big emotions into positive energy, using journaling, using music and movement and art and creativity, being a poet, you know, being doing all sorts of things, whatever brings you joy to be able to use that and figure out how you can use that to cope with all of the big emotions that you're having which is typical and expected as a teenager. Yeah, and I find it so interesting right now to just what I'm observing in my own home and what I'm hearing from other parents, the things that kids are gravitating towards. And some really are going creative and, you know, going back into art. Some are regressing, but they're regressing with things that really bring them a lot of comfort and music or or whatever those those areas are a lot of gaming of course but they are kind of naturally moving back into those places right yeah absolutely because it's a place of comfort i mean how many people watch the same show over and over and over again or go back to something that they enjoyed when they were little that's comfort that brings you sad that brings you safety in a world where you don't really have as much control as you thought you did exactly so before we say goodbye any last I don't know, words of, you've already shared so many words of wisdom, but any last thoughts or for a parent who's listening to this podcast and who's kind of sparked and thinking, well, I really want to, I want to get on this and support my child in this area of coping skills. Where's one place they can start? You know, I would say, honestly, I love the idea of just starting to have a conversation with kids about the things that they love. And sharing the things that you love, really starting to, as a family, like, what are the things that we enjoy doing together? What are the things we enjoy doing by ourselves? And using that as a way to recognize that resting and recharging is also a way of managing your emotions. 
and being able to recognize that. And one more thing, just give everybody grace, including yourself, (laughs) because this is hard. This is challenging. And it's, it is challenging for teachers. It's challenging for educators. It's challenging for parents and it's challenging for our kids. So we need to just give each other grace. It's okay to have a bad day. It's okay to do nothing all day for like, it's, it's going to happen because, and allow yourself that space and time because you probably need it. And then you can start again the next day. Every day is new. Every day is a fresh start. I love that. And where can listeners learn more about your work and connect with you? They can go to copingskillsforkids.com and that's where they'll see all sorts of information about me and the resources that are available. Well, Janine, thank you so much. I feel like I have some new skills and am excited to have some, some deep conversations with my kiddo. So thank you so much for sharing all this today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I was really excited. You've been listening to the Tilt Parenting Podcast. For the show notes for this episode, where you can download the transcript, find links to Janine's coping skills workbooks, her calm and connected podcast, and all the other resources we discussed, visit tiltparenting.com slash session 230. If you get a lot out of this podcast and would like to help me cover the cost of its production, please consider joining my Patreon campaign. On Patreon, you can sign up to make a small monthly contribution, as little as $2 a month, to support the show. Just go to patreon.com slash tiltparenting. Lastly, please help this podcast stay visible and easily found by subscribing and leaving a rating and a review on iTunes. Thank you so much for considering. And that's all for this week. Stay safe, stay well, and take good care. And for more information on Tilt Parenting, visit www.tiltparenting.com. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a No Guilt Mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt-free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Get Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows.